Hi everyone, it's Mind Rolling, Raghu Marcus. I am back, and I'm back with an old buddy who's been on Mind Rolling before, Jamie Caro. Jamie, how are you doing? Hi, thanks for having me. Welcome from Oxford, where it's dark and chilly. Uh huh. Not Oxfordshire. Oxford. Oxford is in Oxfordshire. Oh, it is. The is the region. Oxford yeah. is the city. Yes, I have the advantage of my old partner, David Silver, who taught me all those British kind of things. Um, (laughs) So um, we're getting together. We we have stuff going on, Jamie and I. And I have to say, uh, Jamie is doing something with Love Server Member Foundation, which Be Here Now Network is a part of, that is going to be... uh, a very, very, I have to mention this, Jamie, because we're talking, you know, every week we're on the uh, on Skype or something. And uh, he is doing a film, a doc, around Ramdas that will be, as far as I'm concerned, and as far as he's concerned, an essential primer on who Ramdas is, where he comes from, what he has represented all these decades in terms of teachings. And uh, this will be something, right, that will be yeah. a, a, a going forward into next generation. So we're, I'm really excited about this and wanted to mention it because we're going to talk about Jamie's new book, Insanely Gifted. And, and uh, this uh, Ramdas and who he is is certainly represented in this book, is it not? All over the place. He's uh, plagiarized and quoted in nearly every chapter liberally shall we say yeah yeah i just like to think of it as the same lineage of playfully disruptive awakening and that's what the film is as well it's like i've seen a lot of beautiful film stuff based on ramdas but none of it is about how hilarious he is and the warmth with which he sends out his ripples of wisdom the way that he he opens the heart with humor and but real humor not like light-heartedness but actual deep pathos humor irony about the predicament of being a human that beautiful humane laughing at all of our predicament humor mixed with which opens and softens up the heart so these beautiful clear efficient teachings go in it's like the most efficient use of that healing energy i've ever experienced on the planet i was lucky enough to come into contact with it in my early 20s when i was just kicking off on any kind of ideas of consciousness mm-hmm. and uh, god i'm so lucky that that was the path he threw me on yeah. to do it all so lightheartedly and foolishly and never be so busy and earnest with it that's always been like a key cornerstone for me about the whole thing i love it so jamie is part of this whole deal went to Maui a few years ago to interview Ram Dass for the film and had a dialogue with Ram Dass that's pretty much unlike, uh, you know, most people go there and they're, oh, Ram Dass, oh my God, kind of attitude. Uh, and uh, Jamie, who's a bit of a rascal, he went over there and was himself a lot more than most people usually are. And uh, it was a, it's a wonderful dialogue that really spices this movie up, uh, and I can't wait for people to, to experience it. But um, just a, a little, uh, just a little bit of uh, recounting, uh, if you uh, might, 
uh, around that whole thing about uh, you know getting acceptance and and the way that you handled that and the way that he handled it. Just just tell that little story. Well, I don't know which story exactly you mean, but certainly having been I've been editing it every you know <laughs> yeah, for days, years, solidly for years, but particularly in the last days, nonstop. So it's really funny how. Um, Yeah, how how much he busts me for yeah. wanting me wanting him to tell me I'm a good son, and I realised sort of going out there that because now I've got the insanely gifted book and I'm doing my own groups of workshops and books and stuff, which is I like to humbly think is of a similar lineage of playful awakening and silly and teaching from the middle of the mess. Um, that I'd also secretly gone over there to get anointed and get the keys to the <laughs> spiritual washroom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So tell, t- tell that story. That is the story. I don't know. He just doesn't, he doesn't have it. He sees that coming a mile away around us. He just has none of it. It's just like a ninja. He just goes, you know, doesn't, uh, I think I told him that 20 years ago, I said that I'd come all this way to be told I was a good son. And he just looked at me and went, well, are you? Yeah. Oh, sweet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a beautiful moment. It will be a beautiful moment in the film. So, okay. So uh, now I know, of course, because we spend so much time together, by uh, virtually, but still, it's, it's all one. Uh, that you do um, a lot of workshops and have been doing for years, incorporating all sorts of the different teachings that you've gotten, and not just Ramdas. Uh, and tell me a little bit about how Insanely Gifted got, came together so we have some background on it. Well, because of um, the last movies we made, the One Giant Leap films, which were so full of Ramdas and other wonderful people speaking tenderly and vulnerably about consciousness and being a person, the Q&As and the touring and the kind of places where those movies led us, particularly me, were longer and longer conversations with people about the nature of their own part of being a human and what it meant to them and the beautiful unity and diversity of it all and all the cultures and music so these conversations got longer and longer and became in a way like workshops that we would um until yeah i began to sort of start teaching how to do your own project your own mission your own inspiration and really let uh, yourself be guided in the juiciest most successful fully potential way to do that because what I've learned traveling around the world as a musician and a filmmaker is that the exact same things you, you have to remember to be a great artist, which is surrendering, being a channel, being, being, allowing your yang to only be guided by your yin, to allow your great actions and your artistic penetration of the world to only be guided by the part of you that's receptive, that has listened to the great inspiration and heard it and felt it and has been in stillness before it leaps into action. So the very same rules or, or teachings to do one's art most devotionally, most successfully, are exactly the same teachings for how to live one's life most awake and less fraught and uptight. So there's this great sort of parallel thing in the workshops that they began as creative workshops, but really they're freedom workshops on how to you know, not be fully, fully asleep, thinking that your mind, what we call headfuck FM, that constant self-protective radio station, that it's on all the time that we think it's us. You know, that's the basic problem everyone has is they think their constant stream of thinking is their truth. It's totally compelling. And it does a ventriloquist impersonation of us 
It makes mm. us think thoughts are really true and us. And um, yeah, Krishnadas calls it the movie of me. You wake yeah. up in the morning and start your movie. <laughs> exactly. So to have the consciousness that's always awake watching that, like a broadband signal, not an intermittent dial-up signal, but to always have the part watching and appreciating and loving and being patient alongside being in both places at once, you know, as we know, is the ball game. And uh, as an artist, as someone that wants to be intimate in relationships, as someone that wants to be a great parent, and as someone that wants to, you know, teach as much of this stuff as possible, that is what it all, all comes down to is, um, are you listening? Are you present? Are you noticing all that thinking? Or are you just asleep to that stream of thinking? Hmm. Yeah, and everybody out there, because uh, Jamie really does elucidate in many different ways, uh, very practically, how to approach some of the most uh, tough things that we face in ourselves on a day-to-day basis and, and get into a perspective that, uh, that can allow us to get free. So I, uh, I, I really actually appreciated uh, reading the book, Jamie, and um, I think it's a, it, there's a real offering there because it, it just reminds, you know, you're, I mean, I was going to say your generation, but you're maybe only a step and a half down from me. I guess you, you've gotten say. older over these years, uh, uh, but still... Um, it it is a necessary thing as far and this is something Ramdas and I talk about all the time about I mean he's intent on passing whatever information he has and and whatever perspectives that he's gained uh, especially from where he is right now passing that on and that's a very important thing so uh, in in that sense uh, you know I'm really happy you wrote this book because it's it's got uh, something. A, a bunch of real offerings and some practical stuff in terms of exercises about how to really yeah. approach this stuff and and done in a way that's uh, you're part of it. You are not apart from it, yeah, which sure. is refreshing. Um, but, you know, there, uh, not to get too far into this, but, I mean, it is in the book, and um, and it's something that I wasn't that aware of. You went through some really tough stuff. I guess as a teenager, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. What was going well, on I, there? I, I, I mean, you came from a really uh, uh, a nice. I mean, your mom and I, I don't know yeah, about I your dad. A, but. I came from a uh, you know wealthy Jewish. You know, I came from uh, nobody was like on the breadline or anything like that. It wasn't that kind of a problem. I just like you know I think just because of my artistic temperament and the kind of you know very very conservative schools and quite conservative areas of my family and upbringing uh, was just, you could have called it a clash, but, you know, it created the pressure that made me so phobic about authority that I have spent my life making this kind of music and film and phobic of the wrong kind of authority. And um, it made me into a kind of OCD of wanting to make the obvious seen by everyone. Like one of the first ideas with One Giant Leap was that we were going to have, first of all, a priest, then an imam, then a Buddhist monk, then a whatever, all the different sort of heads of different religions all talking about their religion. And of course, they were all going to talk exactly the same way. It wouldn't matter what costume. It was so obvious. And it always used to be such an anathema to me that so much of the world is divided into, oh, no, we're like this, we're on this team, we're on that team, these people against those people, the Jews, the Christians, the whatever. 
it's just so backward and sort of immature when it's obviously all saying the same thing in a different way if you care to look at it for more than three seconds mm. he's very wise and very passionate and and like you know soldiers on the street and protest and everything being so ignorant so like part of my ocd is just like sort of just stating the obvious but as a child stating the obvious that just stating the bullshit that was going on around me one becomes a problem child you know it's not it's not when you start challenging the structure that is obviously nonsense and just say yes but and there's like anytime you sort of mention the elephant in the room you're hushed down you're like shh <laughs> you know? yeah. Yeah. don't make any trouble and uh yeah so I, I i couldn't shut up about what was bullshit no, I wasn't aggressive about it, but I just couldn't hold my tongue. Hmm. But then there was some real depression, and you were in real trouble. Uh, I used to have panic attacks out of nowhere. I didn't really understand what it was. I understand a bit more now what it is since reading this great book about CPTSD, Complex Post-Traumatic Stress Disorder, but I didn't know all that then. And um, so I would just start having these meltdowns, like I could be just talking to you right now, and then suddenly my... I would get this like intense contraction and kind of pins and needles flush of cortisol and, and adrenaline through my body. But it wasn't connected to like I suddenly had a scary thought or it would just literally just appear. Mm. And uh, I would start vomiting and like, you know, and it was like really, really at the time scary. They didn't have the word panic attack quite yet. Anyway, when I started having it daily over a period of months and months, I was beginning to think, look, no one's really helping. No one really can say what this is. If this really is going to go on, I think I'd rather, you know, check out. I, you know, if it's nothing or this, I think I'd rather have nothing. And my mum, who uh, was always the first person to any new thing, she was the first person that I ever knew brought up workshops at all in the 70s or Air Cup Toller or Deepak Chopra or... Um, all kinds of stuff that everybody is like kind of into much later. She's always been the first to sort of mm. be interested. She's really kind of cutting edge of my mum on that stuff. Um, she said to me, she goes, look, I've been doing this workshop. And this was the time when if you did a workshop, people thought you were joining a cult. We're talking like in sort of 76, 77. If in England you did a workshop, people were scared that you were joining the Moonies. You know, that the, the, the yeah, two yeah. synonymous. Yeah. And uh, it was really like radical to do one and people really, really looked down on it. Anyway, she said, I just did this thing called Turning Point. Why don't you do that? And if it doesn't work, then kill yourself. She was so confident about it. <laughs> she actually said that to you. I mean, that's yeah. brave. Jesus. Yeah. Sorry, I was rambling on, along there, reaching the point. But yeah, so yeah, that was, uh, that, was a big, that was a big turning point for me to even think about. It was, a, it was, it was just before I uh, heard Ram Dass's, uh tapes what used to be audio cassettes um in the first ever yoga class i went to i uh, for some reason it was a naked yoga class i don't know how i found that. <laughs> only you in, in chili made of oh, love. Shit. not co-ed co-ed with oh, full shrinkage in the autumn anyway <laughs> uh, it was humbling but uh, at the end of the yoga they would do this uh, meal that everyone would eat with their fingers and stuff and then sort of meditate and most of the time they would play around us you know lecture and i was just so so touched like touched by jesus you know i was like i was absolutely the, when i would lie down and listen to that thing that was the most profound inner experience i'd ever had today like 
it took me to it opened up a whole new dimension of my brain or of my consciousness just considering the things he was saying and laughing along with the silliness of and just the journey that took me on awakened like a whole new floor of the building of my mind you know and uh that became my central fascination for the rest of my life, whether we were making music in bands, the lyrics or movies like One Giant Leap or now the book and things like that. It's always been this, it's always been driven by that same feeling of yes, that I got being switched on at that time, listening to those things. Mm. This is one great example of someone, you, being in a very, I mean, you know, of course you speak lightly of it now looking back on it, but I'm sure that when you were going through it, it was extraordinarily painful and there was a lot of suffering involved. But that somehow there was a moment when you took that suffering and transformed it. Something in you allowed for the space to, for that transformation to happen. So this is kind of a, for everybody out there, an anxiety and panic attacks and so on. Uh, I, I'd say they're on the increase, not on the decrease, given the, the world that we're in right now. Yeah. And, uh, and, and there is a way to look at that. And, uh, and, and it's a matter of perspective where you can see I absolutely have an opportunity uh, opportunity to get a little bit more spacious and in that spaciousness be able to look at, at the platforms that I can um, mitigate that will help in, in, in a transformation of that perspective so that you're not so caught. And a lot of uh, recommendations, Jamie, you have in this book. And, uh, and I think that the... A lot about that, a lot of tools for that. And a lot of it, the, the two main ones I would say is, is one is because it's getting away from the fact, accepting that we are so, so addicted to comfort in our culture. Mm. Mm. Everything is like, get a headache, take a pill. You know, nobody, it's, it's weird to even for me to even say that. People, yeah, of course, Jamie, I want comfort. Of course, I don't want uncomfortable. I know, of course, you don't want uncomfortable, but life is definitely going to be full of both comfortable and uncomfortable pleasure and pain. That's just a given. You're not going to be able to cherry pick just the nice bits. So the first thing about panic attacks or any of those kind of syndromes is to cultivate a curiosity about the sensations rather than an instant rejection of them. That, mm. that has been one absolute, in all things in life, of course, but mm -hmm. when a panic attack is coming, to be curious about, oh, where is that in my body? What, what color is it? What's going on with my skin? Or, you know, like almost sort of having a step beside it and look at it like, like a laboratory assistant who, or, or, or a, a wildlife um, narrator, you know, mm, how fascinating, be, be fascinated with it instead of, oh no, oh no, oh no, because actually the, 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 the power of the oh no, oh no gives the thing more petrol. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Go, oh yeah, okay, I'm interested. Come on then, be welcoming and friendly with it in some weird way. That is a huge diffuser of a panic attack. And the other thing is to realize that whatever part of us is having a panic attack is really and this is a bit psychotherapeutic, but it's still fucking, excuse my language, absolutely true and works, is that all these parts of ourselves are really alarm bells going off, whereas part of our soul is saying, Jamie, there's a way you have forgotten to self-care right now. Uh, and it's alarm bell going off, and it's a part of us that's trying to protect us. And if it wasn't so overwhelmed, um, 
it could, if it was talked to, and I believe in like dialoguing, it's good like to turn to those terrified parts of us and say, hey, what's going on? What do you need? Like a daddy or a mummy to that little freaked mm. out one inside us. We all carry a freaked out one inside us, no matter who you are. You know, even even round us before sometimes he goes on stage in front of thousands of people, he's like, "What am I going to say?" You know, every every everybody has the part of them that's the the ego and the part of them that's the channel available at every moment. Everybody has fear. Everyone has all of it. To give ourselves the permission to turn towards it and say, "Hey," and parent ourselves and be loving about it, rather than, "Oh no, oh no, oh no." Mm. You know, that attitude is is the is the ball game really. It's to right. keep turning towards it lovingly. That's also, you know, around us is central thing. It's not enough just to have awareness. It's loving awareness. Yeah. It's not loving awareness. Don't bother on a partial path of consciousness because your inner screwed up slave driver in a critic kind of negative yeah. voice will hijack the whole path of awareness and make just use all that information to make you feel crappy about yourself. Yeah, exactly. You know, I was with uh, Sharon Salzberg the other night uh, in New York. We did a, a live podcast actually and and it was around uh the theme of it was no mud no lotus yeah and uh and we talked about uh one major subject which is brought to mind here by what you were just saying which is around resilience we we absolutely don't want to know about suffering discomfort or whatever and so it's she talked about uh that meditation practice in itself is is like a resilience builder so that you are not doing what you just described. No, shying away, you know, saying, I can't, I can't, I can't. And there has to, so that does drive us back to practice, which is an important part of all of this. Absolutely important. And I would say, uh, by the way, to everybody out there, and I've said this before, but I can't reiterate it more. Uh, because when you get to the point where you just can't take it anymore and you realize, okay, what can I do? As you, as you said, that part of you, that the soul saying, you need some self-care, which you just mentioned. Uh, certainly, uh, meditation is self-care, absolutely is self-care, and building resilience. And I would suggest to everyone, you find out about Vipassana meditation. I'm not a Vipassana meditation salesman necessarily, but it is something that we got way back in the day in India, Ramdas and all of us that were in India with Neem Karoli Baba. He never told us to do anything. He more or less wanted to get rid of us when he found out we liked meditation courses. Oh, go to a course. Good. Jow, go. And uh, it became a, a foundational practice for us to deal with everything that Jamie and I have just been talking about. So uh, just high, it'll be uh, on the um, BeHereNowNetwork.com slash mindrolling page of this chat. So you can get linked over to that. Um, it's, it's so yeah. key that when, it, while we are addicted to comfort only, for me, in my model that I work from, which also includes a fair degree of like Qigong, which is very similar to Vipassana, the way that you take a radar through your body yeah. and allow anything to dissolve. Yeah. But um, in the model uh, that, I've been, that I've been working in, um, the constant part of you that is almost switched on to knowing how you feel on the inside uh, is, is a meditation which isn't about I do a 40 minute practice in the morning or I do something at my puja table in the evening all of that is wonderful but 
to not be asleep, really, from the moment you wake up in the morning until the moment you go to sleep at night, to have part of your mind always knowing how the inside of you feels. Uh, I think it's not. It's like the time has come, in a way, no longer for just short periods of meditation. All day has to really be a meditation mm -hmm. on that one thing. Because if you lose track of how you're feeling, you lose the intimacy with yourself, you're never going to know how reactive you're being and jumping into some head trip. Yeah. So that's really yeah. been my practice. It's, it's like an all-day meditation now. Even if I have to set my phone to bleep every 20 minutes, yeah. keep coming back to the body, go, how do I feel? What do I need? Back to the back in the room. Like Ramdas talks about Uspensky walking around, going, Uspensky is walking down the street. Uspensky. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> Stay conscious all the time. Yeah. Well, the big thing of that is mindfulness is the byword these days. Unfortunately, it is uh, a little bit uh, like all terms. Uh, that are picked up in from Eastern things. They're a little bit bastardized after a while, uh, but but that is awareness. And and I do one thing I do appreciate, when, which you mentioned, is Ramdas's. If it's just awareness, you can turn it in on yourself in a way that is not productive. Loving aware that love is part of this. You know, he he'll say, "Gee." Suddenly, I'll have a thought, like a, real, a negative thought, you know, and I'll go, how did that get here? How did I get here? And then he says, at that point, I surround it with love. And and a lot of what you, we were talking about before and what you were talking about before around, and we'll call it a demon, you know, these these thoughts, these negative emotions. and it's, ones. Yeah. Yep. Self-critical ones. Yep, unworthy, all of the things that we all do day to day and have a very hard time with. It's uh, th There's a wonderful Lama, Lama Tsultram Alioni, who we had in a... We just did a retreat earlier this year, and actually we're doing a a course uh, in January with Ramdas around transforming difficult emotions. And we did a retreat on, around that, and she does a practice that is basically feeding the demons... And it's yeah. it's a bunch of what you've reported in the book or written about in the book. You got to invite and you sit down. Ramdas used to say, "Sit down, have a cup of tea. What do you yeah. need? You know yeah. that kind of attitude is extraordinarily important, and and that is very yeah. present in in this book, which I I really loved. In ourselves, we've made unwelcome. You know, like if we want to get sort of Jungian about it. So many times when we're growing up, we were shown being messy or being looking stupid or looking ridiculous or not knowing what was going on or looking weak or whatever it was, wasn't accepted or wasn't made welcome. So, right, I'm never going to look weak again. I'm never going to look stupid again. I'm never going to, you know, we programmed our brain to never. So all these parts of ourselves are trying to come home. It's only us that's made them unwelcome, you know, with yeah. old data. Yeah. Um, so there's uh, something you should, that I love, you know, you, you do come up with catchy little terms. Um, and, uh, and you say in the book that you're on a mission, okay, through everything that you do, including this book, to create an army of walking permission slips. I think I stole that. Oh, you did? Oh, I'm shit. I'm sure. I may have stolen that from the second most wise voice on the planet after Ram Dass, uh, which is Bashar, which I'm sure you've come across. Have you come across Bashar.org? No. There's a guy in a space. It's a new thing. Bashar. Not new. It's fucking awesome. Not new. Okay. It's so on the money. But it's so amazing. You're Is it a person or what are we talking about? It's so amazing. You're willing to overlook that it's an extraterrestrial being channeled. in. Oh, it's a channel thing. Oh, okay. I like them. Anyway, 
his thing is amazing. And, and he also says, the secret of creation is take action based on your excitement with no attachment to outcome. Mm. Um, Bhagavad Gita sort of, eh? Yeah, it's awesome. Anyway, yeah. yeah. Uh, but I do want that. I want us just by our embodiment, not by anything we're teaching, but just by how we are being lightened up. Uh, we just create like bananas. You know what happens to fruit when you leave it near a banana? Say that again. You know what happens to fruit when you leave it near a banana? No. It starts ripening really quickly. Accelerating. Really? Yeah. So- <laughs> that's something. That's the greatest thing I've heard in a long time. I'm going to oh, yeah. get out right now as soon as this is over and get those yeah. bananas away from the apples. Yeah, no, totally. So that's what <laughs> banana does. It makes everything around it ripen quickly. So we are like the path of the holy banana. And we have to accept the people around us just ripen quickly. But it, we, we want it to happen not through the things we're saying, but just by us being ourselves. Um, we are so unhung up that by the morphic resonance, there's no part of you that needs to feel earnest and hung up when you're around. And then everybody just chills out and stops being so uptight around never looking stupid, never looking ugly, never looking poor, never looking like you don't know what's going on, never looking ridiculous, never looking vulnerable. All the things we, everyone's walking around terrified to be seen as can all come home. And we can all be sacred fools together. Yeah, exactly. Tripping over those heartstrings, spilling the wine. Yeah. Everyone's got a big story on anyone. Yeah, right there. Yeah, I, I mean, just in my mind, I'm just uh, floated a few of them, of uh, just like that. How do I bury that shit? Oh, God. oh, God! Nothing's going away. <laughs> yeah, it's like what you say here. Whatever I, what I notice is that whatever aspects of myself I've tried to edit out, whatever parts I am disowning or have no permission for in my life. Whenever I see other people displaying those characteristics, it stirs me up. So, yeah, the reflection of that is just horrifying. Yeah. Uh, whatever yeah. I'm not accepting in me, I will judge harshly in you, right? Right on. So okay. if I grew up in a house where flamboyance was frowned upon, then when I see someone being big and loud, I will think to myself, what an attention whore. <laughs> so great. So you, you have this exercise in the book, which is, uh, I, I wanted to point out, it's kind of uh, interesting because we do this uh, at the uh, Ramdas retreat, and it's an exercise called Like Me, right? Have you noticed how right. often you make judgments? That's a great exercise. I'll t- we take it to a different, bit of a different level, and uh, it's done by uh, Mirabai Bush, who I believe you know, and who's part of our gang, and it's called Just Like Me. So you sit in front of a person. This is a great exercise. And by the way, we'll Good, have I'll the- steal it and pass it, pass it off as my own. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> uh, and, and we'll have this, uh, we'll, we'll get a, uh, we'll actually put a uh, MP4 M- uh, up on so you can see how we've actually done this with Mirabai at the retreats. But basically you sit very close to a person, do what we're doing right now, which is... Uh, eye contact and uh and just you say to the other person i want you to be happy in this life just like me i want you to be fulfilled in this life just like me and there's a a bunch of different phrases that you use and then the other person does the same you it 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 just gets you into this connectivity and realizing how we are all the same deep down it's like his holiness the dalai lama says everyone just wants to be happy 
Everyone has that in them. And if you can find that place that can connect, then we start to have much more of a, 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 a real compassionate avenue to explore with each other. As, and, you know, think of all of the disproportionate polarization that is going on in this world and how difficult it is to have that with some of the people that uh, we feel are, are uh, being very destructive, right? Not easy. And uh, you know, so I love that exercise, and I love that you had a version of it in the book as well. Yeah, yeah, because it's some, it's, it's often it's it's good to use it not just when you're crit- noticing you're criticizing someone. Oh God, that person is so fake, like me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or that person got such a big ego, like me. Uh, but uh, but also when you pay someone a compliment, you know, wow, that person's really like a dropped in real trusting guy really like him like me you know like you kind of acknowledge yourself in the things you appreciate out there not just yeah yeah not just the negative stuff yeah um uh, but in in the book i noticed something else that i loved uh jamie uh you call it demon group therapy but it's uh it's some of what we've been talking about just now and i think really important let me it's from the Tao, the Tao te ching uh, when you use the way to conquer the world, your demons will lose their power to harm. It is not that they lose their power as such, but that they will not harm others because they will not harm others. You will not harm others. When neither you nor your demons can do harm, you will be at peace with them. Right? Right? The Tao is, is one of the most fantastic, but everybody out there, the Tao Te Ching, is one of the most fantastic uh, uh, spiritual books, quote-unquote, that is in existence. And it's also um, something Ramdas. Uh, we're talking a lot about Ramdas because Jamie and I have you know him in common big time for the work we do and the friendship that we have, so we do talk about him a lot. But that's also something that he, uh, he used to bring up in his talks a lot. And um, and obviously something dear to you as well. Yeah, and you know what, uh, Wayne Dyer, his book "Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life" is like a layman's intelligible, mm. beautifully laid out version of the Tao Te Ching, where he gives his kind of take on what each verse is, the offering and the lesson in each verse, and he does a thing like do the Tao today, like give them. He really, really nailed it. I don't know his other stuff, but that book really, really, really nailed it. Called Change I don't know that book. What's the name of the book? Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life. The audio of it is great, too. Change really Your good. Thoughts, change, change Your Life. Okay, everybody. Because I love Wayne. You know, God bless his soul. Uh, and he... he uh, he was instrumental in being able to translate a lot of these Eastern comp- concepts in a very, very uh, easy manner for, to absorb. Um, boy, we're going to have a lot of stuff up on this page of, of links and this, that, and the other, right? It'll be a real resource page for... Well, another great resource, thing is we're putting them down. Yeah. A lot of the stuff we do in the workshops is we realize that a lot of our destructive behavior, a lot of the things that are holding us back and making us feel bad are rooted in beliefs we have in our head that are in our unconscious that we didn't realize we're running, but we're, we're living as if certain beliefs are true. 
uh, when they're not true, they were just put there when we were children. For example, when you're terrified that you might get left in a relationship or abandoned and you're constantly jealous or constantly worried about being abandoned, we're living as if it's true that if this person left me, life would be over. Life would be unlivable. We're living as if that is true. The truth is we've all been left. We've all had relationships that ended. We're all still here and life didn't become unlivable. It might have been tough for a few weeks or a few months, but essentially we don't live as if we will heal as quickly as we do. We live with these childish beliefs and therefore we're in a much more nervous state in relationship than we really need to be often. Yeah. Um, that's a good, good example of how we have a belief running. If, if this person ever left me, life would be unlivable. We live as if it's true when it isn't. We've got a whole list of them. And because they're in the unconscious, you carry on living as if these hugely limiting beliefs are true because you never really quite hear them. But there are certain games you can do, like we do in the workshop, where we use the inner critic and we use the different characters that live in the head to throw out those beliefs. So you've got them in front of you. go, wow, I've been believing as if this is true my whole life, as if I'm lazy or as if I've been living as if I'm, you know, unpopular or you know, I have nothing creative to offer. I've been living as if this is true for years, all because you don't even need the therapy of all because when it happened, it doesn't really matter. You just find these beliefs. And as a resource, while you're putting them up on the screen, Byron Katie's website, thework.org, she has a way that once you've got some of these beliefs up, oh, I'm living as if this is true, I'm living as if this is, you kind of find out what's actually making you, what is the belief that's making you feel bad? And Bashar, who I was just talking about before, he said, if you're trying to find one of those beliefs, anytime you feel bad, he says, anytime you feel triggered or you're feeling depressed, whatever, or something's going on that's making you feel bad, he says, ask this question. He says, what would I have to believe is true to feel this way about this right now? What would I have to believe is true to feel like this? And then you really go, oh, I'm believing this person doesn't love and respect me. And then when you, when you get the belief that's hurting, you go to Byron Katie's website and she has a way to dissemble, you know, to dissolve any belief and not be bound by it anymore. It's an amazingly efficient thing she's got, which is probably yeah. why she's popular. Um, but yeah. Uh, yeah, if you find the belief and then go to her or some other technique to really decide to let go of that belief, so much of the suffering in life is gone by not believing a whole load of bullshit that isn't true, basically, that you didn't realize you were living religiously as if it was true. Yeah. Find those beliefs and dissolve them. It really goes a long way to um, easing the general low-level anxiety. Yeah. Um, and by the way, I will say, though, no matter what you do, and of course, go to Katie's, Katie Byron's website, Byron Katie, Katie Byron, God help me. Um, uh, there's also a guy named Ram Giri, who's part of our original group in India who does a thing called heart sourcing, which combines, because he's, he's, he is uh, definitely close to her, and he has designed something that includes our tradition, which is bhakti yoga, so it includes the heart. And I, I think that's, uh, yeah, check him out, Ram Giri. Hmm? Another link the on the page, yeah, yeah. The people who put all these up, you know, our, our friends who do the show notes are going to be busy. Corey. You'll be busy. Um, so here we are. I want you to talk about it. I get, yeah. I'm reading the book, and suddenly I get into a chapter, and you know, astral anuses. Astral anuses. What in the this, hell are you talking about? That me and Ram Dass, he didn't, he didn't care about this so much when I was talking about it when we met. He, did. Uh, he thought it was ridiculous. But... Um, to my, to my mind, having done a bit of Qigong, 
which I'm sure you've done as well. No. You've never done any Qigong? You must have done some. No. Okay, so Qigong is about moving the energy inside. I know what it's about, but yeah. Okay, so the body's plumbing system is genius. The body is the most advanced self-mending thing we can know of in the universe. You, You scratch the skin, it mends itself over. You break a bone, it knits itself back together. It's constantly scanning for bacteria and viruses and making its own drugs. And that's just the, that's nothing, you know, I mean, it's the most incredible self-mending thing. It also knows that all of us are carrying a massive amount of suppressed emotional constipated energy in us, what Eckhart calls the pain body. All of us are so reactive to the slightest thing that happens. We're never reactive proportionately to what somebody just did. We're only we're, we're massively overreactive because we're all carrying all the uncried tears and all the rage that wasn't allowed and all the injustice and all the anxiety and all the times we had to button our lip and couldn't express. It's all inside us, all that emotion. Now, this is the thing that gets skipped and why, in which we centralize a lot on the workshops is that the body is genius. It knows it's got this huge lump of constipated emotional shit that lives inside us. Of course it knows. And the accumulation is so great because the way that it wants to discharge, of course, like anything, if like anything else in the body, when the body wants to get rid of an impurity, it wants to discharge, of course, it wants to discharge that lump of constipation. How does it do it? Well, those feelings have to be felt on the way out. And that's what depression is. That's what, you know, sudden rage is. It's your body basically trying to do an astral shit and go (laughs) with today's cup full of past accumulated emotional shit. And it uses one of the seven spiritual anuses that some people call chakras, which (laughs) the main part of the body's plumbing system for shitting out old accumulated toxic emotion. That's why you feel it in your throat or your heart or your solar plexus. You're like, ugh. Now, we are so addicted to comfort that whenever that happens, we jump into blaming someone else, controlling, setting new boundaries, going to Facebook, going to the fridge. But if we were brave warriors, what we do at that moment is we realize what's really happening is we're doing a constipated shit. We turn inward, and instead of being comfort addicted, we become curious about the edgy sex sensation, breathe with it, let the body's genius flush it out, the charge goes down, and you've done today's cup full of shit. But we're so addicted to comfort that that edgy feeling that happens in us that we could sit with so our body can shit it out we cork it we run away from it we numb ourselves from it we complain about it we fight it and so the accumulation means that of doing that again and again and again by the time you're 40 or 50 you have a breakdown or divorced or get ill or mentally collapse you know the body can only take so much accumulation of all that suppressed emotion by the time you start hitting your late 30s it's going to start you know, not being able to contain itself anymore because we don't take care of that plumbing. Mm. I love the analogy. I think it's just <laughs> scatological, but loving. But that's the thing is that when I'm driving along and I suddenly feel crushing depression, yeah. normally a human being having that experience would go, oh no, something's wrong. And so they immediately like, well, how can I get out of this feeling? How, who can I call? What can I do? Maybe I should, you know get some chocolate but for me when i drive along and i get that crushing depression feeling i go ah my body's using this little bit of space while i'm in the car to shit out some accumulation of old depression okay that's the feeling of the depression leaving it's not the feeling of being depressed if you look at it correctly it's just the feeling of that feeling passing through and you just breathe and go oh hello like i'm a big believer in cultivating inner voices like if you've got to have all these crazy characters in our head let's (laughs) cultivate some good ones and one I have cultivated is a very loving and patient psychiatric nurse. 
Yeah, you so, said that in the uh, Ramdas uh, interview too. Yeah, funny. well, to have a part of oneself when you start wigging out and you start getting crushing depression thoughts, going, "All right, all right, it's all right," just having a little bit, having a little bit of a wave. Do you <laughs> and you just treat yourself with the fragility and the and the care and the softness that you would a small child, because that's really what's going on. You know, you need to really give ourselves permission to be a little child and go, "No, you're right in there." And, and another great technique that's really helped me when I'm driving along and feeling that crushing depression or a sense of hopelessness or rage, just something starts feeling shit. Instead of leaping to it in my mind, how can I control this? What's the problem that I need to solve? Which is where my mind usually goes. Is instead of thinking, oh, I'm feeling grief or I'm feeling depression, is to take those words off it and just say, I'm feeling, and then make up a word like schlump. Oh, I'm feeling schlump. <laughs> As if it's a, a whole new experience. It's not negative anymore. It's a neutral experience. What does schlump feel like? And suddenly it doesn't feel like depression or sadness anymore. It just feels like something, oh, I don't quite know what it is. As if you look at it for the first time without any of the connotations and the, and the baggage of the words depression and sadness. It's schlump. And then after a while, it's totally neutralized it. And another thing you can do is you go, okay, well, what if I didn't say it's schlump? What if I call this, this feeling love? What if not all the flavors of love are fluffy and comfy and sometimes intense love is like edgy. And so now I call it love. So just by working with our minds and the way we're framing things can totally dictate how negative the experience is. If we look, oh, no, I'm depressed. Oh, no, I'm feeling grief. Oh, no, this is all too much for me. Then that's the experience. But if it's like, oh, this is a curious experience. I wonder what this funny sensation is. If I look at it from the first time, you start meeting it with fascination and curiosity instead of resistance. And then it turns life from black and white into color. Yeah. And basically we're talking about uh, even if you don't want to use the uh, voice of your psychiatric, pleasant psychiatric nurse, we are talking about an inviting tone inside yourself. Yeah. That is more loving. Welcoming more welcoming less judgmental it's okay it's yeah. okay we're just human i'm you know and i'm feeling yeah. like shit right now that's okay you so a little that, pinch. yeah a little pinch in the cheek you unhealable yes, yeah. you unhealable yeah. yeah um there's a great quote by uh, victor frankel in the book uh between the stimulus and the response there's a space and in that space is our power and our freedom. I had never heard that before, and it's a, it's a very much, uh, or it is similar to uh, Trumpa Rinpoche, one of my favorite teachers of all time, uh, around the gap between thoughts is to cultivate that gap, and, and in this case, yes, cultivating that gap allows us to create a, a space, and I'll have to say, because people say to me, well, you've been doing this for decades and you met Neem Karoli Baba you should be fucking enlightened already excuse me sure. and I go you know and so really what you know tell us the truth what what really is going on and and where have you gotten you know me no me me they oh, right. ask me yeah they ask me 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 <laughs> and you know what I say I say over that span of time that space that that gap between the stimulus and the response has gotten incrementally, year after year, decade after decade, larger and larger. So then two things have happened. One is 
I am not immediately reacting and following that emotion, that thought. I am, there's, there's a spaciousness so that I am freed up from it. And uh, the intensity of it has diminished enormously since Mm. my earlier years. And uh, the best of all, I don't believe any of it. I am not believing that this is anything to do with the true nature. But that's not a mental thought. It's a reality. It's just a thing. And, and, and that's why when, when you talked about in the very beginning here about Ramdas in particular, his sense of humor and teaching and so on, and how delightful that is, you get that in your, inside yourself. Talk about uh, having a um, different, different uh, animated creatures inside yourself <laughs> that you can uh, talk to. Well, one, one of them certainly has to be a sense of humor. I mean that is so entirely important, and I know you do that because we. I'm welcoming. It's like what used to be a feeling which I would reject or wouldn't want, or how can I get away from this because it's a bit edgy or uncomfortable. Now is oh hello old friend. You know, yeah. so many people come to me for one-on-one sessions, and they're like, "I've got this thing I need to get rid of." It's like, well, you're not who I need to be speaking to. Because there's another part of you you're going to be getting rid of. There's parts of you you're going to be turning towards and welcoming and saying, hey, 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 come home. You don't need to be so, you know, fraught anymore. Mm. Um, but there's no, there's no part of us we can get rid of. And, and that whole idea that we have that we can sort of like cherry pick the comfortable life uh, is the opposite. of It's abandoning ourselves every single time. We're worried so much about other people abandoning us. Yeah, we're trying to get rid of parts of ourselves. Mm. abandoning the whole time no wonder the world treats us that way we talked about loving awareness before which is uh, an extraordinarily important method everybody out there Uh, you can by the way find Ramdas doing that meditation on ramdas.org just go up there and search Uh, but uh, there's stuff in the book that you write about Jamie around witness and uh I really prefer identification with loving awareness, that place in the deepest part of your center, your spiritual heart, soul, whatever. These, were, these are just words, but there is a place that you can access. And that loving awareness, that identification there, ultimately that can become the only voice that you're identified with inside that views everything and it views it in all the ways that you've described and that you do describe in this book the the kind of uh, welcoming instead of pushing away the kind of sense of humor we've been talking about the non-judgmental factor the interconnected the worse it gets the funnier it gets like if someone (laughs) does something that's really really angry and I noticed this extreme over murderous overreaction inside me. It's so extreme that it becomes funny. So that the voice, the welcoming soul voice goes, is laughing at yourself, uh, with yourself, at yourself, lovingly going, wow, that, that's a pretty big overreaction there. You want to murder him, do you? And, and <laughs> but it's really like, it's like the grandfather that, you know, that is finding everything funny. It's not like, 
there's ever a shred of judgment. It's like, woo, you want to push a rusty yeah. nail. Is yeah, and that can happen every time you get into a car and somebody cuts you off or honks yeah. at you or whatever the hell it is. You have yeah. that opportunity to really look and go, oh, wow, you're kidding, eh? Yeah. yeah. Uh, there's some, uh, something else here that uh, you talk about it being controversial uh, and you say you believe in creation, not creationism, I don't think, but creation not arbitrary accidental bangs and you say i'm not religious and i'm not suggesting it was god in six days but why don't you talk about what you're what you really mean there and i think it's more around universal intelligence yeah again i mean i don't really i don't have a doctrine about it i just like it's it's really as plain as i look around from the cellular structure to a blade of grass to the way that photosynthesis works to the way that crystals and rocks and oil and rivers and ecosystems and the butterfly wing and how lungs and kidneys and pancreases and bone marrow and retinas and star systems and just like the fruit and you know just like the functionality of creation of of the the natural world Mm. if you look at the complexity of it the lyricism of it the perfectly balanced beauty of it the incredible diversity of it from the food to the creatures to the reptiles to the birds to the mammals to the insects all working together the mollusks i mean you look at it all and how it all functions and survives on all its weird liquids and brains and interconnectedness mm. to say that that was all here by accident is just so immature to me it's like absolutely the stupidest thing anybody could think yeah just to my mind I was like, just look in, just open your eyes. The, how does that all happen by accident? I mean, you can say, well, yes, first there was algae and then that. Bollocks, these people are just having, they just can't say we don't know. They have an aversion. It's like, I always make jokes about the uh, scientists, the Schrodinger's cat analogy. Only a scientist could come up with Schrodinger's cat. It's both alive and dead at the same time. No, it isn't. It's one or the other. And you don't know. Just say, I don't know whether it's alive or dead. You don't have to say it's both alive and dead at the same time. It isn't. It's one or the other. But you don't know, Mr. Scientist. So just calm down. So it's a bit like that with uh, creationism. It's like, how could something be so beautiful, so complex, so lyrical, so perfectly balanced and incredible and diverse and just mind-blowing on every level of the natural world? And someone go, yeah, that happened because like, there was a bang. <laughs> it's, like, so, it's so stupid. Well, and that also includes the 10,000 horrible visions and the 10,000 beautiful visions. So this yeah, is... I mean, I'm not yeah, on this planet. Everything. We're all on a journey to light and we need to get rid of all the darkness. I think that the whole point of this planet, which is the dualistic realm, by its very nature, if, it's the, if the point of this planet is to have experiences, because you can't have experiences in unity because there's only one thing going on. But in duality, there can be me and you. There can be me and pizza me and music things can be experienced but if you're going to have a whole realm of duality it's going to have everything from the diabolic to the angelic available in it mm-hmm. we're never going to have a planet where we've swept up all the darkness and now everything is shiny and nice and bright not in a dualistic world it couldn't it couldn't be like that just by the laws of physics yeah and since my own experience with the being when I was t- meeting and when I was 24 years old, that was absolutely evident of non uh, of being able to live in a human body without any subject or object. 
without duality is is a phenomenal <laughs> experience and shows the potential is there that yeah. there is nothing that was going on in this being except what was the best thing for every living thing that came into contact with it and it was more than it hey i we're we're getting to the end but i i had to there's one i love quotes you know when i read books and people put in quotes from or or just things that they say themselves that are they just hit the sweet spot yeah i love them yeah this is from Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche, and it's a great ending to our... As well. In your book. Got them all yeah. in there. See, this is the, my, my big mistake. What? Even though these are great quotes, but what I, happened was I end up getting racked in self-help instead of smart thinking, smart ideas. Two different genres. Smart ideas, everyone is like, you know, by the door. Self-help is up on the left. Too many references <laughs> to spiritual things. I screwed myself. Oh, really? You think so, huh? I don't know. It's a self-help book, not a smart thinking idea. Tender heart of sadness. This sadness doesn't come from being mistreated. You don't feel sad because someone has insulted you or because you feel impoverished. Rather, this experience of sadness is unconditioned. It occurs because your heart is completely open exposed it is the pure raw heart even if a mosquito lands on it you feel so touched it is this tender heart of a warrior that has the power to heal the world chogyam trumpa rinpoche that's that's like the greatest thing i ever read okay i know i know it's amazing oh my god insanely gifted jamie caddo Great, great book, has a lot to offer uh, in very, very practical ways, much of which uh, of what we have been chatting about today. Um, and I, I think people can really take advantage of it. And, and Jamie, how can people uh, reach you, please? Oh, just jamiecato.com. Um, Spell I just, it. J-A-M-I-E-C-A-T-T-O.com. I'm coming to do some stuff. Maybe in LA in December, maybe in Boulder, maybe uh, definitely in June in Omega Center in New York. Uh-huh. Well, it'll all be up on the site, and we're going to have a link yeah. on our page with tons of different references here. I can't wait to see. It. I'm yeah. going to jump into those references now. Yeah, really. <laughs> and uh, thanks for having me. Uh, always great to hang out with you, Jamie. And uh, we shall see you all next week. This is BeHereNowNetwork.com. And this is mind rolling and have a have a great week. Namaste. <laughs>